right, good morning. So good to see you here today. Beautiful Lord's Day, amen. All right. I was uh, sitting over there thinking about uh, the next few Sundays, and uh, I wanted to know if you knew about the QR code that's on the seat in front of you. Make sure you're scanning that uh, for updates. You can even get the sermon outline. And you know the best part about having the sermon outline is you know when I'm almost finished. So you can, uh, you can scan that QR code, click on that little uh, button that comes up, and you can get the, uh, scroll down, you can get the sermon outline, and also um, you can know where we're going. You know where we're going. So you know this is number 10 in the book of James out of 13. 10 out of 13. So we'll finish this about Father's Day, I think. And then we'll move on to some other things this summer. And I'm telling you this also because next week you'll see that we have a Foundations Sunday. Here at Gateway, every last Sunday of the month, we're doing something called Foundations where we're trying to build into our young people and all of us, young people up, the foundational truths about the Bible. And I'm telling you this because next week's topic is a very sensitive topic. It's very sensitive. It, it has to do with uh, one of us having uh, an XY chromosome and one of us having an XY chromosome. Are you tracking with me? Is anybody tracking? Do I need to go further? All right, so we're going to talk about marriage, and we're going to talk about uh, uh, how God made us man and woman. And I'm telling you this because recently, as late as a couple weeks ago, uh, I got a text from uh, somebody in our church who had heard about uh, a young man in our area who's, who has said he wants to shoot up churches. You know, this often happens in big cities, you know, it never happens to us, it's always somewhere else, and uh, our security team is already on the alert. Now, understand this man was arrested and perhaps is still in jail, but my bigger point is when we approach or handle very sensitive subjects that our culture is pushing against our values with, biblical values, we're likely to be, uh, get opposition. So you have to decide, are you going to stand for the truth, stand for God's word, stand for God's truth and God's way, or will you cave in to uh, the world's way? And that's been kind of part of our series here as well. So we're in James chapter 4, the last part of James 4. This is an expository preaching series, expository preaching is when you let the Bible dictate the topic. You know, oftentimes I'll have a topic I want to talk about, and then I'll go to the Bible and find, because I know it's in there, and I'll find several supporting topics. So, for instance, maybe I want to talk about, uh, we just took the Lord's Supper. Maybe I want to talk about the importance of the Lord's Supper. Then I would go to the Bible and find not only 1 Corinthians 11 that Dar uh, Darren read, but some other passages. That's topical preaching. Expository preaching is when you just go through a text or a book and you let the book dictate the topic. 
That's, a, that's called expository preaching. That's what we're doing through the book of James. There's 13 of these. We're on number 10. And our slogan for this series is this. And I'd like for you to read this aloud with me. If Jesus has made a difference in your life, then your life will look right. And that's kind of the, that's kind of the topic of this whole book. That is, that is it. James was written... Uh, to give practical advice about behavior. It's not a deep theological book. It's not necessarily a book about how to think as much as it is a book about how to live. And he's convinced since, you know, he was a skeptic when his brother, Jesus, this is the half-brother of Jesus, was alive. He was a skeptic. He saw the whole ministry, still didn't believe until after the crucifixion and resurrection when Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, appeared to him, and then he became a turned-on, passionate believer and actually became a key leader in the early uh, Jerusalem church. He was the man. He was a key leader, and he wrote this book, the earliest book in our New Testament, and this book is about behavior. If Jesus, he says, has made a difference in your life, then your life's going to look different. How you handle problems, trials, temptations, uh, how you talk, how you, how you listen, uh, you know, uh, the, the roads you take, the, the choices you make, the way of life you live is going to look different than uh, someone who doesn't know Jesus and doesn't follow Jesus. You're not going to use the same trashy talk that people who don't know Jesus uses. You're not going to listen to the same trashy jokes that, or tell them. You're going you're gonna to separate yourself from friends who are pulling you down into a lifestyle that you know God doesn't want. Your parents don't want, God doesn't want. There's a lot of ways in our life that we need to be different than the world. Amen? We need to look different in a lot of decisions. And so today, we're in a section of Scripture here in the end of chapter 4 uh, that um, this is a, the shorter title is Faith That Works. We could have titled it, If Jesus Made a Difference in Your Life, then Your Life Will Look Different. But that's kind of hard to get on a, you know, one screenshot. It's a faith that works, and it's a faith that works when you make plans. Let me just ask before I go any further, does anybody have any plans for later today? Any plans for later today? Yeah. Yeah. Any plans for this week? Absolutely. Plans for tomorrow? I have a little bit of a plan for this afternoon after church. And that plan is just about an hour's worth of a plan. And sometimes it seeps over into a second hour. Anybody know what that plan is for me? Take a nap. Yeah, Jesus took naps. Uh, we should be like Jesus. Jesus took a nap. Remember, I have a T-shirt that says, Jesus take, took naps. Take a nap. That's just all the plan I have. I might do some other things. You know, I've got a garden that was just plowed. I might get out there, gym, and if it's dry enough, and maybe throw some seeds in the ground. I don't know, Sunday evening. But, uh, but before we make our plans, before we get too far into our plans for tomorrow, for the future, Let's see what James has to say. Here we go. James chapter 4, starting with verse 13. <clears throat> he says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. 
What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. That's a great passage of Scripture. And I believe it has, it has to do with making plans, with making plans. And in these first two verses here, verses 13 and 14, James is reminding us, because this isn't anything we don't know. Oftentimes, that's what we read in the Bible. It's things we already know. We've learned them at, at a young age. We know them. We're being reminded, and maybe our toes are being stepped on because, oh, we forgot about that. But I think he's given us three what I would call cautionary truths. In other words, be cautious. Hold up a minute. Come now, those of you who are making plans. A couple weeks ago, I preached this text with some Army guys. If you know me, I'm an Army Reserve chaplain. I go to Mississippi now, and we were standing in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, a, a big circle of us, and I preached this passage because I knew it was coming up in, in our series, and I wanted to kind of get uh, get the feel of it. And I called it the presumption, the, uh, sorry, the presumption of planning. And planning can be presumptuous. And that's what he's going to give us some caution on. Some, he's going to warn us about, and he gives us three warnings. And here they are. First of all, we are not promised what tomorrow we're not promised tomorrow you've been making plans like you think that you have the promise of tomorrow but you don't have the promise of tomorrow do we we don't have it he only gives us today and perhaps not all of today the bible says today is the day of what salvation today is the day of salvation now, understand that James is not against planning. James is not against planning. God is not against planning. In fact, one of the things that separates us humans from the rest of the animal kingdom, the, the world the, from the animal kingdom, is that we have the ability and the opportunity to think about the future. We have that, that opportunity to think about, what am I going to do tomorrow? Yeah, the biggest question in my family sometimes is, what are we going to eat for dinner tomorrow? Amen? Maybe you're thinking about that, and it might have already burnt up. You don't know. It, it might be gone. But uh, we have that capability as human beings that God gave us the ability to think about the future. Now, animals have this in a kind of a way, but not quite the way. They don't really uh, make plans for the future, but they do prepare for the future. And since it's summertime nearly, and you know we're cooking out and grilling out and picnicking and all that stuff, I wanna read one of my favorite summertime passages. This is a great passage. This is in Proverbs chapter six. And it will show us that, yeah, God built into even animals, even bugs, the instinctive nature to prepare for the future. But the minute you put your foot down on that ant, his future's done, right? All the planning, go to the ant, oh sluggard. 
That's a great line right there. Go to the ant. Now, this is not your Aunt Sally or your Aunt Susie. This is the A-N-T ant. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares for bread in summer, her bread in summer, and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? Now, this is not just a Sunday nap, okay? Don't misunderstand that. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. So look, God is not opposed to planning. He's not opposed to preparation for the future. He built that into us. He gave us that capability. What he is against, he's against laziness, right? He's, he's against idleness. He's against presumption. Like somebody will do this for me. Somebody else will do it for me. I don't need to do any work. Somebody will do it for me. But more importantly, God is against uh, the presumption of tomorrow, thinking you have tomorrow when God doesn't promise you tomorrow. And more than that, he's against planning and preparing for tomorrow that leaves him out of the picture. Notice in these first two verses, you don't find God anywhere. It's come now. Today, tomorrow, we will go into such and we'll do this. We'll spend a year. We'll make profit. And God's nowhere to be found. These early believers weren't including God in their picture. They were being a little bit arrogant, like they, you know, they had maybe a little bit of money and they had, they had some influence and they had some stuff and they were going to enjoy it and do what they wanted to do with it. I believe this passage applies to us as much as to any generation that's ever lived in the history of the world. Unlike any other generation, we have so much abundance. I'm not going to use the word wealth because you, you will push back against that, but compared to the rest of the world, we're wealthy. I mean, we can hook our camper up and go on a camping trip, and, and we, we, can, we can drive down to the lake, or we can go to the mountains, or drive to the beach, and we can spend uh, you know two or three weeks at the beach and, uh, and, and enjoy ourselves. We uh, we have it made as a generation, as a culture. We, we have so much free time and leisure time and uh, money that we can do about what we want to do. We can make plans. Even, even those who, who aren't as well off as those who don't just go to the beach, they buy a house at the beach, uh, we can enjoy a lot of good things. But we need, we need to remember, if you leave God out of your planning, God out of your future, it's very presumptuous, and that's what he's saying. That's it's arrogant. Secondly, let's assume there is a tomorrow. Let's assume we have tomorrow. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. We don't even know what it'll bring. That's what he says in verse fourteen. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. You ever heard the song "What a Difference a Day Makes"? Any old timers in here? What a difference a day makes. Anybody? Ella Fitzgerald. Maybe you have uh, a, a story like that where you're just living your life, you're just going along, and, and then you, uh, that this song is about kind of romance, uh, and you meet someone, and it changed your life. There was a day when you didn't know this person, and there was a day you know them, and now it's love at first sight, you grow into love, and your life changed. I remember... When I first, when the 
bells went off, when the light bulb came on, when I was looking at my wife sitting at a piano. Yeah, sitting at a piano. And uh, I'm like, oh, oh. You see, I had always been interested in her sister. I knew her sister better. And that's as much as I'll say about that. But these light bulbs went off, and I'm like, oh, okay, okay. And my life changed from that moment on. Maybe you had that experience. I'm sure if, you're, if you have a significant other, there was a day when you didn't know him or her, and then a day you did, and now things change. And you could maybe experience this on a lot of different things. They say life can change on a what? On a dime. It can be going merrily along, going the way you think it ought to go, going the way you want it to go. And then something happens, some medical emergency, some tragedy in your family or your life or your circle, and life is never, ever the same. Proverbs 27.1, I think James was quoting from Proverbs. Proverbs 27.1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. People in our culture, they like to go to fortune tellers. They like to go to palm readers. They like to prognosticate, you know, the economy and the future. And they like to be able to predict the future because if you know the future, then somehow we think we can control the future. But let me ask you something. What if you knew something terrible was going to happen in your life tomorrow? Something was going to happen, you knew it as clear as day, and you couldn't do anything to stop it. Well, what would you do? Can you imagine the fear and the anxiety? Can you imagine what kind of a night you would have that night? You wouldn't sleep knowing. You'd do everything you could to try to change it, to try to recreate a scenario where it wouldn't happen, but there's nothing you could do. Can you imagine the, the terrible angst you would be in? It'd be awful. Or on the other side, can you imagine if tomorrow you knew that you're, you were going to get everything you wanted. Maybe, maybe you're going to win the lottery or, 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 or that person's going to notice you or all your problems are going to be gone. It was the most incredible thing. What, what if you knew that was going to happen? You knew it was going to happen. There was nothing anybody could do to change it. Don't you think your life, you, you would lean on God a little bit less? You'd be like, yeah, I, <laughs> this is coming. I got this. You know, folks, there's a reason God doesn't tell us the future. There's a reason he doesn't share it. And, uh, and that's good reasons. If you knew the future, then your life would, I, just, I think it would just go out of, out of whack. So here's a third cautionary truth that James points to in verse 14 when he says, what is your life? For you are a mist, some versions say vapor, that appears for a little time and then vanishes. So what he's saying here is one day there will be no tomorrow. One day there will be no tomorrow. Again, some of you know this all too well. My dad sure does. My dad uh, a couple years ago was at Christmas, our annual family Christmas dinner. He shared a little bit of the story of his brother, Gerald. His brother, Gerald, was older than him. He was my dad youngest, and then he had an older brother, older than Gerald. Gerald was 18 years old. He went to basic training for the Army. He spent all that time 
and then he was coming home for a short stay before he went on to his advanced individual training. And my dad, about 14 years old, and his brother went to the train station in Narrows to pick him up, Narrows, Virginia, to pick him up and bring him back to surprise their mother. It was April the 4th, 1953, the day before Easter Sunday. And they stopped at the filling station. Anybody know what a filling station is? Yeah, you know what a filling station is. If you've got some years on you, it's a gas station, but it was more than that. It's where the guys hang out. It's where, it's where uh, actually in those days, someone would come out and fill your tank up. Can you imagine? There was no self-service. And so they stopped there because it was their dad, my grandfather's place. They stopped there for a little bit, and the boys uh, had heard that Gerald was coming into town, and they, and they got arrived there to meet him. They were already there, some of them, and they said, hey, let's, let's run uptown. Let's run to Princeton uh, first. The evening was getting late. It was, it was late into the night now. My dad says he told his brother, he said, Gerald, you got to come home and see mom first. You got to come home and see mom first. My uncle Jones told him the same. You got to go home first. You can hang out with your friends tomorrow. But friends won the day. They won the day. He got in the car. Actually, six of them got in the car. He was in the middle of the front seat. Tommy Duncan was in the driver's seat. And three, two cars, and only two of them walked away from that crash. So, I'm sorry, there were eight. Did I say six? Eight. There were six in one vehicle, his vehicle, two in the other. That's eight young men, and two of the eight lived. The first responder told my dad and his family that when they found his brother, there was only one way he could go, and that was straight through the windshield, and his neck was nearly cut in two. And my dad regrets that. He says, if I could have just talked him into going home to see mommy, he had no tomorrow. I could tell you other stories. I could tell you stories of people right here in the church who thought they had another day with their loved one, who thought they had another day, and now they're gone, and life changed in an instant, and there was no tomorrow for them. 1 Peter 1.24 says, All flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Psalm 90, You return man to dust, O Lord, and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. And if you're an outdoors person or you plant things, grow things, plant a garden, you know how seasonal that is. It, it, it grows and then it flourishes and then it, it's gone. And that's the way of the world, and it's the way of human life, the brevity of human life. You know, way back in the day, a guy by the name of Elton John wrote a song about a beautiful young lady named Marilyn Monroe. Anybody remember? What was that song? Like a candle in the wind. Not too long ago, just a, a week or so ago, I was with my grandsons and my daughter here at my parents' house, and I was, uh, I was out back, and 
I was videotaping them and this, this whole thing became for me a metaphor for life and the brevity of life and how quickly, let's say kids or grandkids come into your life and then they're gone. And so I thought, I think I'll show this. I think I'll show it to you guys. So take a deep breath. Look at this old John Deere tractor. This is old John Deere right here. Just watch this. You see him coming down the hill? gone you're making it scratch you the leg itching? and isn't that a metaphor for life if you're like me in my season of life and you got grandkids or even if you have young kids that's kind of a that's the kind of the way it goes isn't it you see them they're coming they're coming they're coming hello they're gone that's how life passes us by so quickly. And that's why we need to soak up every single second, every single minute with the ones we love because none of us has promised tomorrow. And even if we were, we wouldn't know what it was going to bring and we can't, definitely can't control what it's going to bring. Now, I know what you're thinking. Like, man, preacher, uh, we come in here and you really have encouraged us here. Like, we're going to die today. We're not going to see tomorrow. All this stuff. Uh, really an uplifting sermon. Yeah, but this is God's word. <laughs> this is the Bible. So I, I, I need to ask the question. You know, we, we kind of got to back up a little bit and ask, why, why is James giving us these warnings about tomorrow? And what do we do about it? Well, two, two reasons he gave us the warnings. First of all, to remind us of God's sovereignty. Yeah, he says, you know, God's in charge. Proverbs 16, 9 says, the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. We can make our plans with or without God, but God's in control. God is sovereign. When I was on, on my first deployment with the, uh, with the guard unit here in West Virginia, I was in Iraq, and, you know, we were talking through interpreters, and the army is full of type A, very ambitious uh, people, planners. I mean, they uh, that's what we make our money on, planning. You know, planning. They're planning right now for China. They're planning for uh, Russia. You know, they're making plans. That's just what we do. And so that comes out as we talk to people. And so as we were talking to our Iraqi counterparts, I would talk to a, uh, an imam, and uh, others would talk to their counterparts. We would say something like, okay, going to be here tomorrow and at uh, this time, and we're going to do that. We're going to go over here and do this. And I kept hearing this phrase come back from them, inshallah, inshallah. And maybe you're familiar with this. I don't know your experience, but this is, uh, I asked the interpreter because uh, he, he would just nod because after that he was like, yes, yes, that's right. And I'm saying, what does this mean? And uh, he, inshallah means uh, if God wills. You can hear Allah in there, inshallah, if God wills. 
So you can tell me we're going to meet tomorrow at this time. We're going to go do this. Yeah, but if God wills. And you know, these were Muslims who don't even adhere or believe in the New Testament who are living out the New Testament. That's what we ought to be saying. Hey, we're going to meet you tomorrow at this time at this place, and we're going to do this thing if the Lord wills, if the Lord wills. And that's what, that's what he's saying here. I like the message version of this passage. Listen to it. Eugene Peterson translates it this way. He says, and now I have a word for you who brashly announce today at the latest tomorrow we're off to such and such a city for the year. We're going to start a business and make a lot of money. You don't know the first thing about tomorrow. You're nothing but a wisp of fog catching a brief bit of sun before disappearing. Instead, make it a habit to say, if the master wills it and we're still alive, we'll do this or that. As it is, you're full of your grandiose selves. All such vaunting self-importance is evil. In fact, if you know the right thing to do and don't do it, that for you is evil. So I believe... James is saying, hey, remember God's in charge. And secondly, remember you're in need. It's our dependency. We used to sing an old hymn. Some of you remember it. It goes like this. I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Every what? Dependence on God. Yet there are a lot of people who don't do that. They, they don't do that. I recently heard um, uh, a preacher say that the number one song to be played at funerals is an old Frank Sinatra song. How many of you remember old Frank Sinatra's songs? There's some age in here. I'm sorry, I've got a lot of old references today, but uh, some of the best songs were back in the day, right? What do you think that my way? Yes, there were times I'm sure you knew when I bit off more than I could chew. But through it all, when there was doubt, I ate it up and spit it out. I faced it all, and I stood tall and did it. For what is a man? What has he got? If not himself, then he has not. Not to say the things that he truly feels, and not the words of someone who kneels. Let the record show I took all the blows, and I did it my way. And that's the mantra of a boastful person, a person who leaves God out of the picture. Jesus, you know, we read, uh, we read the verse he said there in our focus time. He said, you need to ask God for every single day. Just today, just get through today. Remember the old song, one day at a time? Just get through today. Don't the right thing. That's what he says. Whenever, whoever knows the right thing. If you want to include God in your plans, plan to do the right thing if it ever comes. If tomorrow comes, plan to do the right thing. For instance, you're going out of town on a trip, a business trip, and, and, uh, and you know the situation you might be in, plan in advance to do the right thing. Avoid sin, avoid sexual immorality. If you're planning to spend some time with your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your fiance, and you know you're gonna be in close quarters, do the right thing, plan in advance to do the right thing. And the right thing is sexual purity. And by the way, the right thing is not to be unequally yoked, is to marry someone of the faith. Your life's gonna be a whole lot better if you share a common faith. If you're planning how to spend your money, do the right thing. And the right thing is to give to the Lord first, 
to save second and to live wisely off the rest. That's the right thing. The right thing is not to buy impulsively and to pull out the credit card. How's your giving? How, how well are you avoiding uh, uh, you know, debt or How well are you paying off your debt? How well are you living within your means? That's the right thing. If you're planning how to grow in your faith, then do the right thing. You want to grow in your faith, then what's the right thing? I'm going to plan tomorrow to go to church, but if I'm just a believer and I've not followed that up with obedience, I've not repented, I've not been baptized, I've not joined a small group, I've not Uh, gotten involved in the participation life of the church, then I'm going to plan when it gets here to do that. You get the point? Here's how you take care of the problem James is talking about. Whatever comes, if tomorrow comes, I'm going to do the right thing and I'm going to plan to do the right thing. Because if you don't, James says, that's sin. If you plan to get, if you know you're going to get there and if it, Lord willing, the tomorrow comes and you're going to be there and you've not decided you're going to do the right thing, then you're going to do the wrong thing. And you might do the right thing, but you need to plan to do the right thing. That's what James is saying. So once again, as I close, I want to ask you the question, has Jesus made a difference in your life? If he has, it'll, it'll be evident in the plans that you make. Lord God, thank you today for your wisdom, the wisdom you give to us from the book of James and from this passage particularly, as all of us have plans, all of us want to see tomorrow, all of us want to see our kids grow up, pursue their plans, all of us want to see our grandkids and watch them grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. All of us want to grow old with the ones we love. I pray, God, that all of those plans would include you. That all along the way, we would decide we're going to do what's right in the eyes of the Lord. Not boastful, just humbly live in your ways. That's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and